Good evening. How's everybody doing? That song should fire us up, shouldn't it? I know my Redeemer lives. I asked Mike to sing that song because tonight I'm going to be talking about redemption and re the Redeemer and redeeming and what that means. And I uh, appreciate Brother Randy praying to God a few minutes ago and thanking him for Jesus and his role in the plan of salvation. And that's also something we're going to talk about tonight if I do my job right. We're talking about redemption. I started thinking about redemption as I was studying the book of Colossians. I was reading the first chapter, and as you go through the first few verses of that chapter, Paul mentions the redemption and where that's found at in Jesus Christ. He mentions reconciliation and remission of sins. And remember, this book was written to Christians, and I was thinking, well, did they not already know this? Wasn't this part of the teaching of the gospel, the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, Jesus' role in that? I got to thinking about that and reading different commentaries and thinking on it. And it seems that Paul was addressing um, some heretical teachings at the time. Uh, Brother John was talking about this morning that divisions or denominations or splits or heretical teachings is nothing new that just came about in the past few centuries. It's been there almost since the entirety or the inception of the church. It's something that's had to been dealt with. And at this time, some of the... Um, teachings, the false teachings that were going around was some people were still trying to cling to Judaism. Uh, we had this thing called Gnosticism. Uh, and these things diminished Christ's role in the plan of salvation, maybe even denied his deity, um, denied his sufficiency, his all-sufficiency in the plan of salvation and mankind's redemption. It diminished his role and, and really denied his preeminence or his superiority and I think Paul is addressing this and reiterate, reiterating this and reminding the Christians at Colossians that everything we need is in Jesus. He is the superior one. He is the preeminent one in all things that we need to be sufficient or to be part of God's salvation plan is found in Jesus. So let's talk about our terms or define our terms for a second. What is redemption? What does that mean? Well, if you look at the Greek word, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Apolutrosis, apolutrosis. That means a release effected by a payment of a ransom, buying back from, repurchasing what was previously lost, to secure release or recovery of persons or things by payment of a price. Liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. So redemption means to buy back something, to repurchase something, to release something, um, liberate something but it comes at a price something has to be paid in order to make that uh, happen so when we think about let's think about a few practical examples I had a preacher when I was attending the church in Murfreesboro and he kind of broke it down from redemption he kind of used this this uh, this example think about pawn shop say I need some money and I have an item that's worth a hundred dollars I can go to the pawn shop he will give me money for that item. The item just then goes into his possession. Now, if I want to redeem that item, I can get it back, but I have to pay the price to get it back. He has a price that I need to pay to regain possession of that object. Um, think about, you hear about if you and your family were, say, to go on a vacation in a foreign land, and sometimes we read about or hear on the news where a family member is kidnapped, and in order to get that family member back, you can get that family member back, but you have to pay a ransom to repurchase that family member. Or how about slavery? In the Old Testament, a slave could be redeemed or bought back at a price. 
So these are just practical examples of what redemption means. It means regaining possession of something by paying a price. Now, we think about God's plan of redemption, God's plan of buying back or repurchasing or liberating or releasing something. And that, God, that plan God has always had in his mind. Ephesians 1.4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God's plan of redemption was in reaction, was not a reaction, I'm sorry, to anything humans done. It's not like we caught God off guard, that he created mankind and then mankind violated his law and it surprised God and he had to come up with a backup plan. No, this, this plan of redemption, of repurchasing us, of liberating mankind and buying them back, making them his possession again, has always been in his mind. So think about the examples of the pawn shop or the kidnapping or the ransom, the slavery. Let's think about four aspects of redemption. The first aspect, there has to be something to be redeemed, correct? In the pawn shop, when I give them that object, that object is something that I want to redeem or buy back. So there's an object or something or someone that has to be redeemed, say he's a family member or a slave. There's something that needs to be redeemed. So what is God buying back? What's God repurchasing? What's God recovering? What is God releasing? What is God liberating? Well, we know the answer to that. It's mankind, right? The crown jewel of his creation, the thing he loves more than anything else on this earth. In uh, Colossians 1.14, you notice that Paul says, in whom you have redemption. Titus 2.14, that he might redeem us. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price. Referring to people, you, us, you. He's talking about people. God's wanting to repurchase, liberate, rebuy, um, pay the ransom for people. His most beloved possession. God wants you as his possession for you to be in the light with him, and he wants to be your father. But there's a problem. If mankind is what's being bought back and liberated and purchased, what is it that mankind is being bought back from, liberated or purchased from? Well, we know the answer to that, right? Sin and its consequences. Sin and its penalty. Sin and the debt of sin, which is the wrath of God, right? The wrath of God. God hates sin. God can't overlook sin. God can't deny sin. God is just, therefore, sin has a penalty, and that penalty must be paid. That's the consequences of sin. So what is he buying us back from? Jesus said, most assuredly, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So I'm a slave of sin. Who's my master? Sin. Sin owns me. I belong to sin. I'm not following God's will. I'm following my own fleshly appetites, my lust. Paul said, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. This idea of slave to sin, being owned by sin, no longer owned by God, but I've made the choice to be owned by sin. In Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Slaves to sin, under the power of darkness. These are some terms the Bible describes people who are in sin. John 8, 44, Jesus said to a group of people one time, You are of your father the devil. Why? The desires of your father you want to do. Those are harsh terms, right? Telling somebody your father is the devil because your desires are his desires. You're a slave of sin. You're under the power of darkness. But this is a point or I should say, a place we all abided at one time, right? We were slaves to sin. 
we follow our lust, our fleshly appetites. God's will, that was not our will. We lived on our own will. Before the um, Colossian Christians had been redeemed, they were under the power of darkness, slaves to sin, serving fleshly appetites and lust. Well, John 3, verse 4 said, sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the divine law, right? In Titus 2, 14, it says that Jesus, that he might redeem us, what's he redeeming us from? He's redeeming us from every lawless deed, sin. So that's what God is buying mankind back from. That's what God is repurchasing or liberating us from, is sin and its penalty or its consequences that are sure to come. With sin comes a penalty or a debt owed. Jesus said in the model prayer to ask God to forgive us our debts. Well, what's he mean by that? What debts? What, what debts do I owe to God? Forgive me my debts as I forgive those, or my debtors, I'm sorry. What debt do I owe to God? Well, let's think about that for a second. Sins are offenses against God, violation of his law, punishable offenses. With the penalty of eternal death, we know that from reading Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6, 16, sin leading to death. When I commit these sins, I then owe the penalty. Well, which sins? Any of them. <laughs> Any sin. And we, it seems commonplace nowadays as humankind, we tend to downplay sin or place this sin as worse than this sin. But does God see it that way? Does God overlook sin? Can God forget sin? Um, sin is so serious. It's such a serious thing. And the penalty of it is so severe, so serious. When I commit these sins, I owe the penalty. I've become indebted to a just God to pay the penalty for that sin. I owe the penalty. Punishment for sin is eternal. Have you ever thought about that, why that is? Why can't God just take a sin and have a time of adequate punishment for that sin, let us serve that, and then be done with? I got to thinking about that and reading on that and... and I come up with this. Because we have sinned against a holy and just God who is eternal, he's outside time, and our sin is ever before him. God's outside time. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He doesn't forget. See, we think with finite minds. We may have committed a sin 30 years ago that we've already forgot. We no longer feel the guilt of it, the shame of it. But has God forgotten? Is it still... In God's mind, well, yes, he's got a finite mind. He don't forget. He's eternal. It's always before him. He's outside of time looking at us. That sin is ever before him. He can't forget sin. He can't ignore sin. And to satisfy his holy justice, sin must be eternally punished because it's eternally before him. Every sin is subject to the penalty. It doesn't go away. That's the price. That's the price of sin. How serious is sin to God? It's that serious. That's the consequence for sin. It doesn't go away unless something can be done about it. We'll talk about that in just a second. I'm indebted to pay the penalty for my sins. Which sins? All of them. <laughs> All of them. God won't forget a sin I committed 40 years ago. God won't overlook or ignore a sin I committed 40 years ago. I committed the sin. I owe the debt for the penalty. Someone has to pay. 
Someone's going to pay the penalty for my sin. And I'll never pay it in full. What do I do then? Where does that leave us as people? Well, what if someone could pay the penalty for me? A plan of redemption, this is the second aspect of redemption. A plan of redemption needs a redeemer, right? Going back to our examples of a pawn shop or a kidnap or a slavery, there has to be someone who wants to redeem that object. That object I took to the pawn shop, I must want to redeem that object. I must be capable of redeeming that object. To be liberated, bought back, or repurchased, there needs to be a redeemer. And a redeemer must be capable of paying the price for redemption. Go back to the examples. If I pawn a TV for $100 and I go back to the pawn shop, he says, I want 200 for it. You can have it back. I have to be capable or have the funds to pay that price to get it back. If a loved one is kidnapped, the kidnapper says, for $30,000, you can have your loved one back. I have to be capable to pay that price. Or if a slave, to be bought out of slavery, the price is $10,000. For me to redeem that slave, I have to be capable of paying that price. Well, if we've all sinned, and we all owe the penalty, we all owe the price, and it's a price we can't pay. Remember Jesus' parable about the king who went to collect his debts, and he went to the servant who had a debt he could not pay, ever? Who's he referring to there? He's referring to us as people. We owe a debt because of our sins we will never pay. We will never pay it in full. We will spend eternity suffering the penalty. We've all sinned. We all owe the penalty, the price, and it's a price we can't pay. Where does that leave us? We owe a price or a debt we're not capable of paying for. So many want to skip the Redeemer or try to go around the Redeemer and do things themselves, right? And I have one person say, well, I'll do this many good works in my life. I'll just be a good person. But when you read the Bible, is the penalty of sin, is it ever said that a good work pays the price for sin? Does it ever say that if I come to this, like the agnostics thought they came to this special enlightenment, this not special knowledge, that that was the answer, but does God ever say coming to this special enlightenment or knowledge will cover your sins or pay your debt or your penalty for your sins? Or maybe people say, I just will be the best person I can be and learn the most about myself. And that's really the answer. But none of that pays for sin. None of that pays for that penalty or that debt that we owe to God. One person comes to mind is Cornelius, right? When you read in Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius, and it describes him as a man who feared God, who prayed, who gave alms, good man. What does God also say about him? He was lost. And he needed to hear the gospel. So what if someone could pay the price for my sin? Who could pay it? Who can pay the price for our redemption? The price that is more than we could ever pay, the price, the debt, the penalty that has to be paid to purchase us from destruction. When we were in the uh, teen class over in, uh, later, earlier this year, we were talking about Exodus and the children of Israel leaving um, Egypt. And we came across this verse in the Bible that I be honest with you, I've overlooked before, but Exodus 13, 13 said, But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall destroy it. So all the way back in Exodus, and probably before that, God is putting forth this idea or this principle or this concept of a clean animal for an unclean animal, right? 
the donkey, the unclean animal, could be redeemed for a price. What was that price? The life of a lamb. If you will not redeem it, you shall destroy it. So in order to not face destruction, this donkey could have another life, the life of a clean animal, in its spot to redeem it. Hebrews 4.15 says, In all points tempted, this is talking about Jesus, as we are, yet he was without sin. John once said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Jesus died and suffered the just for the unjust. So, in the analogy, in, ex or the, in the type or the symbol in Exodus 13, the donkey, who's the donkey? The unclean animal. We are, right? I mean, I hate to call us all donkeys, but <laughs> we're the unclean animal. In order to be redeemed, there has to be a clean animal put forward in our place to pay the price. So let's talk about the price. Just for the unjust. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption. Through what? What was the price? Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1, You were redeemed by precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot. There you go. That's the price that had to be paid. The forgiveness of the sin and its debt, the penalty paid in full through the shedding of God's sinless blood. That was the price that was to be paid. That's the only price that can be paid to pay the penalty of sin for me. 1 John 2 and verse 2 says, He himself is the propitiation. What's that word mean, propitiation? It means an appeasement or a satisfaction of God's justice. Jesus is shedding his life appeased or satisfied God's justice. What's that justice need? That justice needs this penalty for sin to be paid. And he allowed his son to take that penalty for us. God can't overlook sin, so he poured his wrath out on his own son so we wouldn't have to pay that penalty. A willing redeemer. This is the fourth aspect that I want to talk about of redemption. So we have something that needs to be redeemed. We have to have a redeemer. And the third thing we need is a willing redeemer, Right? If I go to the pawn shop, if I'm capable of paying the price, I need to be willing to pay the price. I need to be willing to pay the price for my loved one who's in captivity. I need to be willing to pay for a slave who wants out of captivity if I'm capable of paying the price. Was our Redeemer willing? Someone willing to pay the price to liberate or repurchase us. John 10, 17 through 18 said, Jesus said, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life. Was he willing? Yes. He said, I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. He was willing. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. So not only was our Redeemer capable of paying the price, our Redeemer was willing to pay the price. Think about that. Jesus, a man who never sinned, therefore did not owe the debt or the penalty for sin, was not indebted to God for sin. You mean he gave himself to subject himself to God's wrath on the cross to clear or pay the debt that I owed. The debt I could never pay, he willingly paid the penalty. He did that for me. You ever think about that? That's, that's something you can't fathom, really. I mean... He was willing to suffer something he didn't have to suffer. 
pay a debt he didn't owe, suffer a penalty he was not indebted for? You ask yourself, why? Well, God told us that too, remember? For God so loved the world. Try to fathom that love. Almost uh, unfathomable. To think that the God of the universe, the one who created me, thought my soul important enough or worth enough to send his son to pay the penalty for my sin. How would you feel about someone who paid an unpayable debt for you? Our nation right now is in, I think, $23 trillion of debt. Imagine if that was your personal debt. You could never, no matter what you did, you could never repay that. And a stranger walks up to you and says, I can take care of that for you. I'll pay that price for you. And all I ask is that you get to know me, follow these rules I have, that you have the best life ever, and I'll take that debt from you. Which one of us would say, no, it's okay. I'd rather have this debt over my head. I'd rather have the anxiety and the guilt and the frustration and the hopelessness of having that debt over my head. Well, nobody in their right mind would do that. Yet millions of people every day do that. They don't realize. I think we, sin is so common in everything in the world that it's got watered down and people don't even think of it or the seriousness of it. So they don't think about the debt they owe or how serious that sin is to God and that there's a penalty that comes with each of those sins. It's celebrated. It's promoted. It's, it's just everywhere. So it's lost its seriousness to many people. People don't realize the debt that they owe God for those sins. And they also don't realize the good news that God has put forth a plan of redemption for us to be bought back from that sin, to be bought back from that penalty, to be repurchased, to be his possession again through his son. I used to ask this question in the Bible study all the time with the teens. When we ever talked about Jesus, I'd say, how important is Jesus? Just think about that. How important is Jesus? Without him, there would be no redemption, no reconciliation, no remission of sins. I don't think the importance of Jesus can be overstated. Who is redeemed? Who is purchased? Who's liberated and who's bought back? We had a, it's been a great couple of weeks here, right? We've had Ty baptized, uh, Jalen and Lance and others, uh, Lori and Sheldon. They have joined the redeemed. How awesome is that, right? Paul was writing to the church in Colossae. He's writing to Christians. And it says, in whom that we, who's he talking about? We, the church, have redemption. Acts 20 and 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So who is the redeemed? It's the church. Those who are in the body of Christ, the saved body of Christ, in his church, those are the redeemed. Those are the ones he paid the price for. He paid the price for everyone. Not everybody will take advantage of that blessing. Most people deny him. Most people ignore him, rebel against him, not knowing or realizing the seriousness of their sin and how much he paid to take care of that problem for you. Who is redeemed? It's the church. So how important, then, is the church? If it's the body of the redeemed, I don't think the importance of the church could be overstated either. So going back to Colossians and the reason for Paul's writing and addressing these things where people may have diminished the role of Christ in the plan of redemption, maybe denied his deity or his superiority or his importance. Seems like nothing's changed, right, today? So many people. Ignore God. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Ignore God. 
deny Jesus, his deity, deny what he done for us. And Paul wanted to reiterate, <coughs> excuse me, to the Colossians, the preeminence and superiority of Christ and all the sufficiency of Christ. So on the day of judgment, there's going to be two kinds of people, the redeemed and the not redeemed. The not redeemed will stand before God, owing all the debt, all the penalty for their sins. The redeemed will stand before God with that debt paid in full because they obeyed the gospel <coughs> and lived according to the will of his son. So tonight you should ask yourself a question, where do I stand right now? Have I been redeemed? Or am I sitting here or standing here with my sins unforgiven, owing the penalty for those sins? It's a serious question and one we should give serious thought to. Tonight, if you'd like to be among the redeemed, it's open. The invitation is always open. God's made a simple plan, like God, uh, John said this morning. Simple. The gospel is simple. It's not hard to follow. It's not hard to understand. You're to be a believer in the Son of God, a penitent believer, one who's ready to, willing to repent of their sins, to confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior and the Son of God, and to be baptized for the remission of those sins, at which point he adds you to the body of the redeemed, those he purchased with his own blood. Or if you're a Christian, it's easy to get pulled away into sin or to start thinking lightly of sin or ignoring sin or overlooking sin. But it's a serious matter. 